0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 Podcast. I am joined today, as usual, by my wonderful co-host, Bryce Paul. Hello. Bryce, hello. how are you doing over there?
1: Good to see you guys. Uh, always happy to be here.
0: Fantastic. And Bryce, you've got something new in your background there. What, what is that there?
1: <laughs> yeah, th- this is a funny little thing. Um, I just got married and you know, we started uh, Tower 18, one of our companies. And so my now wife uh, decided for our wedding, this will be the gift. So it's Tower 18, little hand-drawn thing uh, where we started a lot of our companies right there on Mission Beach Boardwalk. So uh, thanks for noticing.
0: That is super cool. Um, Not surprised. Your wife is the most thoughtful person. (laughs) Uh, Great gift. And we have another great gift here on the podcast as well. We are joined today by Elena Natalinski, Mm -hmm. and she is the founder and CEO of Ironfish Foundation. Elena, welcome to the Crypto 101 Podcast.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.
0: It's a pleasure. And Ironfish has been something that has actually been on our radar for quite a while, much longer than most, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be because I personally am a, a big miner. I love proof of work and really big into privacy. And that is something that Ironfish is delivering in a very new product. But before we get into that, let's talk about you and learn about who you are. Give us the high level, you know, history, resume and whatever you want us to know about who is Elena.
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. So I graduated with a computer science degree. Um, I went to Microsoft as my first job out of college. And I actually joined a team within Microsoft that was like an incubator team Um, because I really I knew that I wanted to start my own company one day. And I thought that was the best move. Um, I learned the hard way that you can't quite have a startup experience in a company as large as Microsoft. Uh, and so about a year and a half later, I went to Silicon Valley uh, to Tilt, which was a startup here uh, in San Francisco uh, doing payments. Unfortunately, um, I saw kind of the life of the startup, you know, flash before my eyes and Tilt was acquired by Airbnb. And I was at Airbnb for roughly a year and a half until I decided to quit my job uh, and dive into crypto full-time. So that's the the short of my resume, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, San Francisco is a pretty, pretty special place, even after COVID. Um, so if you're interested in crypto AI or like whatever the, the niche technology is, it's definitely a place to be. Um, and so my personal jor- journey was that I was able to go to a dinner in Palo Alto, which is pretty close to San Francisco, um, where I first kind of discovered or rediscovered what crypto was uh, in 2017 after going to a dinner at Protocol Labs house. And Protocol Labs is the company behind projects like Filecoin or IPFS. Um, and I got to meet Juan Benet a bunch of other uh, people in the Ethereum Falcon ecosystem pretty early on. Um, and I just got really sucked into crypto. Um, so that was kind of the start of my crypto journey.
1: That's awesome. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different avenues that you could have gone down, right? I mean, crypto is so broad. There's so many things to build. Um, why did you decide to build Ironfish Foundation? Was it something um, like... You know, technical that you decided, or was it more philosophical, or you know, how did you come to this idea?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so uh, right now, there's Artificial Foundation, IF Labs, um, and so originally I was working on IF Labs. Um, but yeah, so the way I kind of realized what I wanted to do in the space is um, I started going to hackathons. That was actually my first real entry point into crypto. So for a listener, uh, for your uh, listeners out there who are interested in crypto, I highly, highly recommend going to hackathons and. There are so many great ones, because that is how you really get to know uh, the technology, the teams, and whether or not you want to build this and be in it. Um, and so for me, I went to the very first ETH Global Hackathon in 2017, which was ETH Waterloo. Um, and so, you know, co- coincidentally, uh, ETH Waterloo is happening just next week. <laughs> no worries. no worries. Uh Yeah, <laughs> in, in Toronto or in, I guess, University of Waterloo. Um, so that's pretty special. Um, so during that hackathon, I mean, the CryptoKitties uh, team, if you remember that team, oh, that was our first day. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone who was early in, in Ethereum, they were all there. So the MakerDAO team were, th- were there, Live LivePeer, um, uh, I mean, Vitalik and his dad were there, like the MetaMask team were there. I mean, like everyone that like, was crypto back in the day, um, they were all there. And I remember like, you know, working on my hackathon project and Dan Finlay, who like, wrote MetaMask, was helping me debug MetaMask at like 3.30 a.m. Nice. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is such an open community. Um, and I don't know exactly what this is in terms of like, is it going to be uh, something that you know, spans over time, but definitely want to be part of it. Um, and so the way I thought about it is, you know, I quit my job in like mid-2018. It took me like probably six months to figure out exactly what I wanted to do here, and so I kind of worked backwards, you know, like, what is what is crypto uh, missing today? So such that it can be the payments platform of tomorrow. And at the time, almost everyone was working on like stability and scalability. So how do you make stable coins? How do you make uh, blockchains more scalable? Um, which, you know, ironically, we're still working on today as well, <laughs> to some extent. Um, and very few teams were working on privacy. And to me, that was such a huge and obvious gap. Like, if we're going to be building this, Borderless, cross-chain, unbiased payment system. How can we do that when all transactions are so transparent? How are we going to convince businesses or individuals to take this seriously in terms of pay, like a, a payments platform um, if everything they do is out in the open? Um, you know, for, firstly, this is kind of a non like nonstarter for businesses, and then for individuals, it's kind of a dark mirror episode if you if you imagine that all your transactions are kind of out in the open. Uh, so to me, it was like a very obvious thing that was missing from like the, the tool stack. Uh, and that's definitely what I wanted to work on. Um, on top of that, it became pretty clear, even like the 2018, 2019 era, that zero knowledge proofs were probably going to be the most useful application here for privacy. Um, and, you know, zero knowledge proofs were, you know, fascinating to me back then, and they still are. And so, like, when people talk about like Bitcoin Maxi or Ethereum Maxi, I'm like a zero knowledge proof Maxi above all, <laughs> um, because I think that the, the technology spans across different technologies and will probably bleed over into things that are non crypto as well um, so so yeah that's kind of how we started uh, I mean like 2018 2019 around like realizing that privacy is the biggest thing that I personally wanted to work on and it really aligned with my interests in terms of technology and honestly it also aligned with my philosophical beliefs as well that privacy is important and if we're going to be building this you know non you know non biased um, uh, global uh, payments platform that it was definitely a necessity
0: yeah. Uh, We're big fans of ZK technology here as well. There's such a huge difference in the judicial world when it comes to can't versus won't. If you won't reveal the data to, you know, laws when it's being subpoenaed or whatever, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. But if you're on a system where you simply can't reveal the data because you don't have access to it and you can't read it because by its very nature, it's encrypted and private, then there's nothing that can be done about it. And we're seeing with so many political games happening right now all over the world, privacy, especially in terms of money, is more important than ever. Um, You know, Imagine being, I mean, a Russian rich guy, for example. Maybe you did nothing wrong. Maybe you did. I don't know. But who am I to decide? But you're just living your life over there. And all of a sudden, all your assets get seized because one guy, President Putin, decides to go start a war with NATO. You know, that's not fair to you who has nothing to do with that. Maybe you're just running a, a big chain of hamburger stands or taco stands, <laughs> but you did really well for yourself. And uh, now all your wealth is seized. Your boats are seized. You can't fly anywhere. Well, this also happened uh, in Canada,
1: really right? The the Canadian truckers were protesting. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So Probably it's not just, these, example. you know, in the war. It's Probably like a it better happens example in Latin American countries and everything. You know, it's mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I think it, oh, sorry. I was gonna say we're really
0: happy that you're building a solution to this. Uh, We wanted to know. Also, you know, there's so much of a push towards proof of stake now or delegated proof of stake or some kind of um, very energy light consensus mechanism, but you guys are doing proof of work. Why did you decide to do that? And what type of proof of work mechanisms are you using to secure your chain?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, before I get there, let me just make an, an, a, another point to what you said earlier. I think yeah, financial privacy is data privacy, which is kind of this fine line that people actually disagree on quite a lot. Uh, like for data privacy, there's a lot of advocates. Like people don't like Facebook or people don't like like big tech and their you know and like data collection and whatnot. So that's a really easy argument to sell for policymakers or, or uh, regulators and so on. But financial privacy has just been like a really um, sensitive topic of like, well, should should that be in the, under the same vein of data privacy? And to me, the answer is clearly yes. Like your financial choices reveal so much about you, right? Like if you donate to a political c- campaign, for instance, or you're part of a DAO on chain, or you're uh, buying a certain thing, or, or you know even uh, interacting with certain people that reveals so much information about you... Um, so to me, it's like, you know, financial privacy is definitely something that uh, we shouldn't shy away from just because it's a hard problem. Um, the underlying hard problem, obviously, is, you know, how do you catch bad actors um, while also preserving the privacy of regular users? Um, and it definitely is a hard problem. But again, it's, I think it's definitely something that we should aim to solve and not just shy away from because uh, because it could potentially be used for, for bad. Um, you know, this is the same goes for like telecom companies, right? Like I think Largely, they are good. They allow people to do things that they weren't able to do before. But someone could use a cell phone to call in a bomb order, right? So we shouldn't shy away from technology just because it could potentially be used for bad. I mean, same thing for the Internet. I think, like, the Internet is a net good, right? It opened up so many doors, and I think it made our lives so much easier. But for sure, there's terrible things happening on the Internet, and on the internet as well. And we need to figure out a way to um, to kind of, main, you know, Work with that technology instead of just outright banning that technology. Yeah. Um, so that's my spiel about data privacy equals financial privacy. Um, then your other question was about like why proof of work, which is extremely controversial, right? Like all new layer one chains are all proof of stake, and there we are, like charging the way of proof of work. And so for sure, a lot of people had that question of like, you know, why are you doing that? And so we thought about it quite a lot. Um, and there's like different reasons for why we chose proof of work. One is decentralization. So you know, I think decentralization is very important. I think in 2021, we had this like question of like, well, is it that important? Like maybe scalability is more important than decentralization, right? Um, and I think, you know, the ability for anyone to join a network very easily to me is very important. Um, so you don't need to buy into Ironfish right now. Like Ironfish is not, you know, it's a privacy coin. for us. it's not going to be available in many jurisdictions. Um, and we're, you know, a, a very, very kind of uh, new chain, right? So um, if you if we were proof of stake, it would be really hard for people to get into the system if they had no access to buy it. Um, so if you wanted to get into the network right now, you could just, you know, you could mine it, you, you could join the Ironfish network very easily. Um, if you just wanted to run a full node without the mine capability, you could do so with literally two command lines, um, you know, npm install dash the Ironfish and then Ironfish start and you have a full node running. Um, We're going to be releasing a full-blown desktop app quite soon. That'll make that entire experience even easier. You can just launch an app. You can uh, sync from a snapshot to make that even easier. Uh, So for us, that's really important. On the mining side, again, like distribution uh, of Ironfish is, to me, very important, um, just to get in the hands of people who, again, may not necessarily even want to buy it or don't have the ability to buy it. Um, so you can join the Ironfish network right now with just a GPU. In fact, a lot of our uh, mining activity is happening from like home GPU miners of like regular people who do this on the side, which to me is really special because, again, it actually increases de- uh, decentralization, in my mind. So I think like that's one reason of like, I think proof of work systems are still more decentralized, um, at least by some criteria. There's actually a lot of criteria by which you can kind of create a project. But I think in general, um, I would stand by that. Um, the other kind of argument is like, what does proof of stake actually give you? Um, because um, especially like in the 2019, 2020 era, people thought that proof of stake automatically equals higher transaction speeds or higher like, you know, uh, uh, block speeds. Um, and that's not necessarily true either. Like we kind of saw a pretty clear example, like Ethereum post-merge had the same average block time than Ethereum pre-merge. Um, like there are so many proof of stake systems that have much slower average block times. Um, and so there's like, this misconception that like, oh, it'll give you a much better user experience because it has like uh, faster block times. And that's not necessarily true either. Um, and then the third kind of uh, point was that like, Proof-of-stake right now means so many different things. Um There's every single proof-of-stake application is actually a way different design. Like Cosmos versus Tezos versus, versus Ethereum have a totally different proof-of-stake algorithm. And so when we talk about proof-of-stake, I think like people kind of bundle that entire, you know, family of algorithms into one, um, but it's not actually one, right? And so I would say like Cosmos, for instance, has like, roughly hundred validators versus Ethereum has like thousands of validators and there's different trade-offs. Um, but those are all very, very new designs. Uh, and I think like for proof of work, like we know exactly how it works. It's so been battle tested for like 10 plus years. Uh, we know exactly how to operate in this world. Um, and so for proof of stake, it feels like a Pandora's box of like un- unanswered questions. And for us, we just really wanted to focus on privacy. Like we wanted to provide a privacy platform that really works, um, that has like good distribution, good de- good decentralization, and then, like, work from that. So, like, we're kind of thinking about IronFish as, like, very incremental steps. Um, and so, to us, like, I think, like, Proof of Work is still by far the best choice for a new Layer 1 project. Um, and, you know, like, if you look at some of the other Layer 1 projects that have launched, uh, they have maybe a few hundred validators. Versus for Proof of Work projects, it's really, really easy to get much much greater uh, distribution of, of full nodes uh, and miners. Mm.
1: Interesting. Is, is it more easy to... Or is it easier to like 51% attack a small proof of work chain? Because if there's only a few, um, you know, big miners from Bitcoin or whatever, um, or maybe some other, you know, state level actor, you know, Bitcoin's super resilient because of how much hash power is already directed to it. But for a newer chain, I've always heard that it's more risky to be a proof of work chain because it's, it's typically smaller and, um, you know, it's, you know it, it would cost a very small amount of money to spin up um, you know, GPUs or CPUs to, to 51% attack that network and make um, invalid transactions or counterfeiting?
2: So it really depends on how you set up your system. So for instance, if you choose sha two hundred and fifty six right now, then yes, you're definitely in that boat because that's the same hashing algorithm for Bitcoin. So you have you know, a lot of people that have you know, ASICs, so especially as hardware for that particular algorithm that could redirect their hash power to your network and all of a sudden it could spike really easily. Um, so if you choose a hash an algorithm that is specific to your project that doesn't have ASICs on you know kind of um, available in the field, then that becomes less of an issue. So we chose Blake three. Um, and you know, for Blake 3, there are there are no ASICs currently. When we started our Intensive AssessNet, there wasn't even a GPU implementation. Um, and so, you know, f- from, from that perspective, it's like, okay, you're not attracted to ASICs because the ASICs don't don't exist for the algorithm. You might be attracting GPUs. Um, and then it's kind of a game theory, right? Like, you know, if you have a healthy network, um, you have a healthy like a, a hash power and you attracted multiple pools. And even if you have one pool that is, like, you know, a dominant hash power, it's kind of a game theory of, like, they're still, you know, mine they're still investing in your network, like, financially. Like, it's not zero money to have, like, a pool uh, operating to to such a degree. And so for them, it doesn't make sense to kind of, like, 51% attack your own chain, because, you know, they'll devalue the thing that they're mining on. Um, So I think, like, that's not really a concern for a lot of cases. Uh, now, of course, we have seen 51% attacks, and most of their are like attacks on exchanges, uh, or at least that's how I th- uh, that, that's how I think about them because they want to, you know, double spend an exchange, not necessarily the chain. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, there's definitely ways that you can do it in a way that you know your mining pools, you kind of know the players, um, yeah. and uh, once you have like a pretty good hash power, then um, you're kind of in good hands. Yeah.
1: Would you um make comparisons between um like Ironfish? Is it more like a Litecoin where it's you know supposed to be just this currency, you know, medium of exchange, store value, or is it more like Ethereum where it's like this network that's basically general purpose for lots of different applications to build on?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you for asking that. So sure. it's kind of in the middle. And the reason why we call it a privacy platform is because Uh, We don't have smart contracts. However, we do have the ability for people to make custom assets. Once you make a custom asset, that asset is completely private as well. The reason why we built this feature is so that bridge operators could connect Ironfish to any other chain um, and help uh, assets from transparent chains bridge over to Ironfish so that those chains can live in a fully private environment. So the way we think about it is a chain agnostic, general like general purpose privacy platform um, for basically any chain that we can bridge to. Um, so our focus for end of year is to get to Bitcoin, Ethereum. Um, so, you know, how do we get private Bitcoin for the very first time ever on Ironfish? Or how do we get private stable coins on Ironfish for the very, very first time ever? So like that is our focus of like proving out this thesis that you know, Ironfish can be this like missing Lego piece of crypto uh, that provides a privacy platform for existing assets.
1: Nice privacy really, middleware almost.
0: Yeah, the, I almost yeah. think about like Ethereum is like the financial freeway, and then Ironfish would be the financial subway <laughs> or the <tollway>. <laughs> <laughs> Like It's just a little <laughs> bit darker down there where you can't see everything. That's
2: you know, pretty good. You can't good. see
0: everyone's license plate.
2: Oh, it kind of reminds me of our name. So Ironfish. Um, So Ironfish, I'll I'll just do like a 30-second spiel about how we got the name. Um, In World War II, uh, you know, Americans realized that, well, I I guess like everyone realized that encryption was such a powerful weapon in in war. Like if you have a fully encrypted communication channel, that's a huge advantage. And so uh, the Americans had realized that there are so few Native Navajo speakers um, that they volunteered, uh, you know, uh, Native, Native Navajo speakers to practically be at the two ends of the communication channel. And they spoke in code, but it was largely just native Navajo. Um, And it was um, an unbroken encryption system until it was declassified in the 60s. Um, And they didn't have like vernacular words for certain things. And so a submarine became what directly translates to as an iron fish. And so the reason why we chose that name is because it's underground, kind of like a subway (laughs) or like underwater (laughs) (laughs) under the, the surface. Um, you know, it has like two tradable items, iron and fish. Um, and, you know, it, like it's it's something prim- like uh, primitive that explains a much more complex thing. Um, and, it, you know, that encryption can be used for the side of good. So
0: <laughs> that's pretty cool. I guess a subway would be an iron worm then.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. no, I like <laughs> that.
0: So let's talk about zero knowledge proofs because there's plenty of people listening that have probably heard the term but don't really know what it means. And, you know, as we were talking about can't versus won't and stuff, um, you know, with something like Monero, like that is on the side of can't. They use these ring signatures that you cannot reveal information, even if you wanted to. Gun to your head, too bad. Zero mm-hmm. Knowledge Proofs is a little bit more flexible where it's an optional privacy. Can you talk a little bit about the the scenarios and where, you know, you would keep things private on chain by default or where you can choose to reveal certain data and what type of data would be revealed. And just why is this technology such a big deal in terms of, I guess the acceptable compromise of what we know so far in terms of privacy.
2: Yeah. um, So zero knowledge proofs are a tool. So um, disclaimer for IronFish, everything trans like all transfers on IronFish are fully private. Um, The way, the way IronFish works is um, we have a, Every, every account has a private key, a public key, and a view key. So for instance, if you're familiar with Ethereum or Bitcoin, you just have the private key and the public key. For us, we have this additional view key. So whoever creates this wallet has that view key. Um, so IronTrade doesn't have it. Nobody in the world has it. Only you have it if you created the wallet. And if you give someone this view key, they have, uh, they have the ability to see all your transactions but not spend any of your money. So you can kind of uh, think of it as a read-only uh, key for something like Provide an audit for your wallet. Um, But going back to Zero Launch Proofs, Zero Launch Proofs are just a tool. So, like when we started in 2019, they're almost synonymous with privacy because the only big projects that were working with Zero Launch Proofs were privacy related projects. And now, when we talk about Zero Launch Proofs, they're almost synonymous with scalability because most projects that are working with Zero zero Launch Proofs right now are working on like ZK Rollups or ZK EVMs. Um, and, you know, and knowledge proofs again, are just a tool for honest computation. So like, let's say I give you a program and I give you an output, I can prove to you that the output was a result of this program, even though I don't have to show you the input. So, um, an example of that, you know, like I could give you a grocery receipt and say like, um, you know, you bought 10 items and here is the final sum for the 10 items, even though I don't have to show you. Uh, exactly which what would you know what amount each item cost so you can kind of think of it as a compression mechanism to some degree because you can say like um, you know I've done this computation so you don't have to redo the computation and here is the output and so yes that can be used for many different things um, so for example for ironfish the privacy aspect comes from encryption so the transaction is fully encrypted um, the problem with that is you know if a transaction is fully encrypted then how does a validator, validate that the transaction is correct. Uh, because remember, in Ethereum or Bitcoin, the tr- the transparency is a key requirement for validation. Like if I send you a Bitcoin, validators are only able to validate that transaction because they can see that my account has at least one Bitcoin for me to send to you. So now that everything's encrypted, how do we replace that uh, validation mechanism? And we do that through zero-knowledge proof. So we say that even though this transaction is encrypted, the way we constructed the transaction um, is still still makes it a valid transaction. So that's where the zero knowledge proofs come from. Um, so I'll pause here. Did that did that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think I think it does. I mean, I, I love all the analogy that you gave about the grocery receipts and it, it being this compression mechanism that kind of doesn't reveal uh, sensitive information. One of the other ones I heard, and, and maybe you have have, have another one, uh, just to give more concrete examples of zero knowledge proofs and their applications. But one that I liked was like. Imagine you go to a, a bar and there's a bouncer there and he's checking your ID he really only cares that you're twenty one years old right That's all he cares about in America at least um and so but by the very nature of giving him your ID card, he sees your name, your address, your weight, your height like all this personal stuff that you don't need to reveal it's just there um and so by you know having you know digital zero knowledge proof IDs you could prove essentially that you're 21, or you meet this spec, or maybe, you know, you need to be born in the month of April or whatever to, to get this prize, you could then select, okay, just reveal that piece of information about me, um, to the person that needs it, which is like those view keys, which I think is really cool. Um, are there any other cool examples that, that you've kind of, uh, come across or people might even be building, um, on, on the Ironfish network?
2: Um, so for Ironfish, you know, we did just launch two-ish months ago. Um, so we are seeing a lot of people create custom assets, um, and the use cases that we kind of want people to, to to or use cases we want to see are things like private DAOs, which you can do on Ironfish today. today. Um, so a lot of times, for instance, people want, might want to um, be part of a DAO, but not have the world know about it. Because, again, in my opinion, financial privacy equals data privacy. So that actually does reveal a lot about you. Um, and then, you know, things that we want to build in the future are things like private NFTs. Uh, a lot of times people buy NFTs for um financial purposes only, like for investment purposes. Um, and they don't necessarily want to have that be sitting in transparent wallet that they use every day. Um, and so that's another thing that we want to we want to target. That's true. And this is on top of things like Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's on, on top of things like you know private stable coins and private Bitcoin. Um, eventually we, you know, we hope to get to something like a private swap experience as well. So if we bridge to multiple chains, um, you know, you kind of have multiple assets be living in the same system. Um, so we are thinking of ways of how to allow effectively uh, a semi-private DAO or a, a, sorry a semi-private deck, so like being able to um, to swap assets. Um, so those, those are kind of like the use cases that we're that we're aiming for. Um, but um, but yeah, in terms of like zero knowledge proofs in general, there's just so many applications that people are thinking of already. Um, not just in Ironfish, but kind of like across the ecosystem. Um, the bouncer one, I actually dislike that because <laughs> if you think about it logistically you would still have effectively a trusted party, <laughs> you know, uh, because uh, the bouncer would have to like sign, you know, kind of pro- probably like trust an app or whatever to like provide this information. So it kind of, to me, like defeats it, the purpose a little bit. Um, but uh, there's really great examples of things that uh, that are happening right now, uh, like on-chain or semi-chain. So for, for instance, um, Dark Forest, if you're familiar with that game. So it's, in my opinion, was the first like fun game Um, that figured out how to use your knowledge proofs such that you can have hidden state on Ethereum. So, you know, Ethereum is fully transparent. So if you think about, like, the games that you enjoy, a lot of those games have hidden state, like Battleship, for instance. Like, that's a hidden state game versus chess, but that's an open state game. Um, And so they were able to figure out how to uh, create this game where you can, like, claim planets effectively um, on chain without revealing the coordinates of that planet, which was super cool. Um, right now there's a lot of things happening with like CK identity or like proven membership of a set. So for instance, I can say like, um, you know, I am part of a set of people who own like a board ape or a crypto punk, but I don't have to reveal who, who I am. For instance, I can just claim that I have this thing or that I'm, you know, part of a, a, a part of a set. Um, there's also zero knowledge proof, like proof of reserve projects. So after FTX collapse, for instance, um, there was a, an effort of, of projects that uh, would enable an exchange to prove that they have the reserve, like they have the funds, uh, without necessarily revealing like all their order books or all their user account data. Um, so that's happening right now too. Um, obviously, zkVM stuff I think is super, super fascinating, super cool. Um, so the ability to basically uh, prove the Zulanch proof that certain transactions have happened without validators needing to rerun all those transactions. Um, so I can go on and on. But yeah, I think like ZK in, in general, um, I think we're just now starting to see some of the more interesting applications happen.
0: Yeah, I could see it being very helpful for auditors as well. Like instead of going through every transaction a company did all year long to make sure that they didn't you know, deal with anyone who's on the OFAC banned list, you could simply just run all the transactions, you know, through a a smart contract. And as long as there was no match to the OFAC list, it gives you a green thumbs up, saves the auditor weeks of time going through everything. And just, you know, life moves a lot more smoothly.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, And there have been projects in the past who have attempted this. Uh, I'm not sure like what their success was, but for instance, like different jurisdictions have a ton of rules for trading. Like you can only trade up to a certain amount or, you know, whatever those rules are. And you could potentially have like an on-chain, you know, exchange experience that also qualifies for all those requirements with you launch proofs. Because, again, they're just used for honest computation. So you can say, like, all these things happened and we followed all these rules. And now you don't have to look at every single transaction. We can just give you a proof that says, you know, all of our users behave. Yeah, I believe
0: Enzyme does that, the former Mellon protocol.
2: Oh, cool. Nice. Yep.
0: They're amazing. Um, so what do we... Want to see like next for Iron Fish? Like, what are your like next steps to grow on the roadmap? Is it user acquisition? Is it more asset acquisition? Is it building bridges? What should we expect the rest of this year?
2: Yeah. Um. So yeah, we view uh we view Mainnet as almost like step zero. Like, we wanted to have this fully private, decentralized, privacy platform. Um. And that was basically what we launched on four twenty, April twentieth. Um, and so, yes, now our goal is basically proving out this, this thesis that Ironfish is going to be the privacy platform for crypto. Um, and yes, the way to do that, that we are focusing at least, is how do we get more assets on Ironfish? How do we get people to actually use Ironfish as a privacy platform? Um, so our goals for this year is to bridge to Bitcoin and Ethereum um, and you know, figure out use cases for people to actually bridge over those assets, um, whether it be like custody solutions. So for instance, uh, for Bitcoin, you know, can you just store Bitcoin privately. Um, and then for Ethereum assets, obviously providing that privacy platform. Um, so that that's, you know, in terms of our metrics of success, um, it may not necessarily be TVL, but it's definitely going to be like number of assets, transactions, and potentially TVL as well.
1: Love it. And then kind of, you know, one, one of the questions I've thought about is just like, um, you know, Zcash or Monero, like these got delisted, Um, From, you know, several different crypto exchanges and different jurisdictions, they got banned. Do you think about that when you're building your platform? um, You know how to work with, quote unquote, the powers that be? um, or, Or does it not really cross your mind?
2: Oh, I mean, regulation definitely crosses my mind. <laughs> um, no, for sure. Um, you know, I think like we've actually spoken to a lot of regulators already, even though we are a fairly new project. And my takeaway is that everyone has good intentions. Like, we've never spoken to a regulator who was like outright like you know bad or evil. Like, we all actually want to do the same thing, which is to protect the consumer and to protect the end user. Um, and so, I think like, right quick now we're going through like you know a somewhat healthy tension of like figuring out what that line is. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, like, we were, we're definitely working or talking to, you know, regulators and policymakers to figure out what, you know, how to make privacy be comfortable for them. Um, but, um, I mean, yeah, I think, like, the, the things that we did with Ironfish already does, in my opinion, um, you know, comply with all the existing regulations. So, for instance, if you're a regulated entity, usually you're um, required to comply with, like, OFAC and BSA. So, you can't interact with you know, sanctioned addresses and you have to have like good record keeping is kind of like the summary of VSA. Um, and so for us, like every transaction has a memo field. So if you have two regular entities interacting, they can certainly put in, uh, notes as to why a transaction has occurred. Uh, that key does kind of comply with that as well, because it allows a regular exchange to, uh, to provide a full audit for an account that they, that they support. Um, and so for, for us, I think like you know the biggest challenge here is education of like educating policymakers and regulators that not all privacy coins are the same, different privacy coins work differently. Um, and here is how we are approaching um you know privacy plus compliance. Um, you know, I think like the way we have built Iron Fetch with, with keys is very, very analogous to how the existing banking system works today, right? So, like if you are a suspicious individual, um, you know, your bank would get a warrant or a subpoena to reveal your bank statement and they would do so. But the, the view that I, they would they would provide is just your view of your transactions. Uh, and that is exactly how the view key for Ironfish works as well. Um, so our, our whole stance is like, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just apply the same kind of techniques that we have already for like my laundry and catching bad criminals in the non-crypto financial world and just apply that to crypto. Um, but I mean, like what I, what I think is super, um, you know, Uh, hopeful, I guess is the right word, or like an example of of things going right. Um, You know, I think Zcash and Zucan in particular have like really paved the way for like privacy and regulation. Um, And, you know, Gemini was able to list fully shielded Zcash like withdrawals and deposits, which I think was, you know, huge, huge step, because as you know, like NYDFS is one of the most stringent financial systems. Um, And they were able to do that through education, through, you know, educating policymakers of how Zcash actually works, how related entities can still stay compliant. And so I think like with the, with effort um, and building relationships with these regulators instead of, you know, being anti-government, I think like goes a long way. Um, and yeah, I think the bottom line is like we actually all want the same thing of protecting the consumer. So, you know, kind of aligning those interests and like making sure they understand that we are working towards the same goal uh, does go a long way.
0: That's great. Uh, I'm really happy to hear that. You know, um, it's been an amazing last half hour getting to pick your brain. And before we let you go, we just have a couple more questions for you. you know, who really inspires you in this space to do what you do? Can you give a shout out to some people?
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. Uh, and I say this earnestly because I think there's so many really incredible people here. Uh, I mean, a couple of people that come to mind. I think Jane from Optimism, if you're familiar with her, um, she was a CEO of Optimism. Now she went to the Optimism uh, Foundation. Um, I think she's incredible. Um, I think like Sean and like uh the cryptography team from Zcash is just amazing. Um Aztec, I mean I know they're another privacy protocol, but I'm really, really impressed with the cryptography work that's happening um out of the out of that team. Um obviously like, you know, protocol labs and I I beepass so like that actually kind of is what got me into crypto. So, shout you know, out to the roots. Uh, I shout out to them. Yeah. I mean, I think they're an incredible kind of ecosystem and community. Um, and like what they've done for crypto, I think is, is huge. Um, Barry White Hat, if you're familiar with him. Um, yeah. I think he honestly single handedly... I mean, I think he was the very first person to even come up with the idea of rollups. So I think of him as like this crypto ninja. Like, very few people have like heard of him or like have heard of his contribution, but I think he like single handedly started an entire industry within crypto (laughs) where they're like starting this concept of of rollups. Wow. Uh, Jordy, who's now Polygon uh, Hermes, um, you know, he was on the Ivan 3 project and he did things like Circum, for instance. Um, He's just, I mean, again, he's like a ninja, right? Because he like single handedly, made the most widely used tool for tool launch proofs and now is working on a zkvm solution um same thing with bob and threadborne i can go on oh, am i supposed to have only done one we're standing person? on the
1: shoulders of giants <laughs> is what i hear
2: yeah
1: yeah there's, no I'm that's so amazing There's a, there's a lot of yeah. love to go around and a lot of recognition and and i think that's that's really good to hear that you know some of the smartest people in the space are are building on really technologies that are complementary um, to what you're building. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, again, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I think that that sums that all up, but what would you, what would you say just kind of as the last question, a lot of our listeners are, are brand new to crypto. They, they just kind of got in the industry or, you know, maybe they're, you know, having their one year anniversary of, of holding crypto or whatever, what would you tell them as somebody who's experienced uh, kind of, you know, giving some knowledge or some wisdom to somebody who, is a little newer in the industry?
2: Um, Gosh, well, it depends on what they want to do. So it's kind of a hard question, right? Like, you know, I'm not here to give investment advice, so I can't really do that. Um, So, I mean, are they interested in figuring out how money plus programmability works? And, you know, obviously, Ethereum, in my opinion, is still the best platform for that. So figure out ways how to get, you know, how to get more involved in that. Um, and I think now it's, firstly, way easier than ever. There's so many tools out there. Um, and if like the cost is uh, throwing people off in terms of transaction fees, we have like Arbitrum and Optimism, like other layers for people to kind of experiment in that are like less, um, you know, or more cost effective. Um, you know, if you're from, if you want to get into launch Proofs, again, Circum, I just mentioned the project, but it's probably the easiest uh, project for people to, to look into uh, to start Understanding how zoology proofs work. Um, obviously, it's for a more technical audience, but I uh, highly recommend it. Um,
1: that one's called Circum?
2: Circum, S C I R C O M. Circum. Yeah. Incredible. Gosh. yeah. <laughs> it depends on what people want to do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Everybody needs to find their own way. Um, no, this was incredible. Um, where, where can people follow you, follow your story, follow Ironfish? Um, online, where's your guys' main modes of uh, communication?
2: Yeah, so our Twitter is Ironfish Crypto. Um, so we use Twitter for like bigger announcements, um, you know, retweeting podcasts, et cetera. And then if you want to ask anything about Ironfish, if you want to talk to developers directly, if there's anything you are curious about, please go to our Discord. And the, um, the way to get there is discord.ironfish.network, and that'll redirect you to our Discord. Um, yeah, so I think those, those two channels are probably our best Wonderful. ones. And then my personal crypto, uh, sorry, my, my personal uh, Twitter is LeanTheBean. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Lean So people want to follow me then. <laughs> so, Lana,
1: thank right. you so much for, for joining us. I'll be giving you a follow on crypto Twitter as well. Uh, staying apprised of your journey. Um, yeah, this was incredible. Thank you so much for joining us and we hope you have a great rest of your week.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Bye
1: sounds good all right everybody who's at home listening hope you guys enjoyed um come back next week or or later this week we're you know we always got great guests coming on um twice a week so take care